dedication, discipline, passion, sacrifice, rise and rise again. Welcome to Any Given Chance. Massive shout out to our sponsor, Squad Athletica. Guys, this training gears, you've got the training singlets, the shirts, they've got absolutely everything. They've got the 12-inch shorts, the 16, everything that you need for the running. It doesn't stop there. They've got yoga mats, they've got drink bottles, they've got you covered at all bases. I'm telling you, this training gear is rivaling Nike, it's rivaling Under Armour, it's at the forefront. And the best thing about it is it's right here on the Gold Coast. So it's a supportable local business. You can jump over to their Instagram, it's at SQD Athletica. Or you can jump online and check out their shop, Squad Athletica. Go through, select your little things, what you want to buy, new hoodies for winter, whatever training gear you need, and then type in your AGC code at the end, which will give you a little discount. That's AGC in the little coupon code. Can't thank you enough and make sure you get out there and get in your squad gear. Big shout out to one of our sponsors, Black Rose Barbers. That's right. Go see Liam and the boys over at Black Rose Barbers. They're located on Lakeview Boulevard over at Mermaid Waters, right in between the Good Life and the 7-Eleven. Walk out of there feeling a million bucks. The boys can cut hair and he even does the cutthroat razor if you want to feel really fresh and fit on a Friday. You can book online at blackrose.com or you can get on the phone and give them a call, but go support your local business. And the best thing about Black Rose Barber, you can sit in that chair and talk maximum amount of crap. You know why? Because the boys have got the answers. They'll solve the world's problems with you. I'm telling you now, they're a bunch of legends. Go support them. Tell them Matty from AGC sent you. Boom. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Any Given Chance podcast. Everybody's been asking about him. The man, Ryan, winner time, we go. How are you, mate? Good, bro. What's been happening? Mate, podcast. Podcast. Podcasting and just um, blasting you every time you get a winner on social media. Yeah, how good. Mate, um, the boys, they're always messaging me going, when's Wigo coming on? Or what's Wigo got today? And I'm like, hey, he's the grouse, he's the bomb. So I'm the biggest fan, little fanboy. Yeah, how good. <laughs> but mate, Any Given Chance podcast, I know your story, you've seen the bright lights down in Sydney, you've come back, you've had to do a lot of hard work and you've transitioned into where you are now and very experienced jockey. But what I want to focus on today was actually that transition Coming out of the apprenticeship, your move up to Queensland, which led into a Group One win, very elusive. Like there's a lot of Group One now, but it's still very hard to tick that off the bucket list. I think that was a really good effort of you leading into that. And then we're going to jump on and speak about you know trips overseas and riding work overseas and jump into some stories there. So if you don't mind, just giving the the viewers a little uh, description of where you come, like your little story background and how you got into jockeying and. I'm originally a Canberra boy, unfortunately. Do you follow the Raiders? No. Roosters. Roosters, Roosters, that's right. Roosters slash Broncos these days. Yeah, originally Canberra. My dad was a jockey. My uncle was a jockey when I was growing up. Pretty much lived at the racetrack. I spent my weekends, my parents separated when I was younger, so my weekends was spent with my father on the weekends, and and they used to race on Saturdays. So on Friday afternoon after school, I'd go to my dad's, and he'd be there sweating it out in the sauna, and follow him around and do everything that he did and, and yeah, go to the race with him on Saturday and then play footy at the races while they're all racing. And then, you know, when I got a bit older, I got a little bit more interested in the racing. And yeah, I was pretty much just born and bred into it, to be honest. Yeah. Your father was a good jockey, wasn't good he? Good jockey. Him, yeah. him, him and my uh, my Uncle Stu, they were very good jockeys. Like They were in the Canberra district there and they used to ride all the winners, um, yeah. obviously heavyweight jockeys too. And they were cut short. Obviously, they I think they both retired about 27, 28. So 
which is pretty young for a jockey. But this day and age with, you know, the science we know about dieting and, and losing weight and that sort of stuff, everything's changed these days. They used to just do it the old school way, ride yeah. once a week, waste your guts out all, all freaking week and then, and then just blow out Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, do it all again, you know, and it's just balloon up, you know, yo-yoing and what we call now is pretty much like, it's no good for you what they used to do. It's not no. at all. Well, you know yourself, your metabolism stops, everything stops, and it's just, it's no good for you. But yeah, obviously with the nutrition we have these days, it's a lot easier. And they might have got a, a bit more out of their career if they knew a little bit more like we do these days. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Isn't that weird how I find that even now, like they get a lot of young rugby league players that come in. I wouldn't mind seeing them wait like the NFL. So the NFL, you know, you got to play your college ball and then you mm. come into it by the time you hit NFL, you're 23, 24, 25. And then you actually play through your man strength where a lot of NRL is, oh, you're 18, here you go, go let 120 kilo. Fooey, fooey, moi, moi. Yeah. Run straight at your kid. Yeah. Sam Walker, prime example. And that's where injuries come from. Yeah, you know? and, Benji and, Marshall. Yeah, and like when you're young and you're not fully developed, obviously, mm. especially with football players, the contact sport and stuff like that, yeah, it's not, it's not great for your body. Same thing with being a jockey, like what you do to your body early on. If you're a bit of a heavyweight, it's not good for you later on. No. So. Well, Lukey, Lukey Dittman, yeah. prime example, six foot tall, and yeah. he's just stayed light his whole life just because he loves riding. Dylan Givens, we yeah, did. Yeah, Dylan's we, the same. Yeah, he's tall. That, that was a good story. That was a good podcast, Andy, about holding him back, you yeah. know, doing it right, getting the experience out that, of That's the experience of having your father, your father being a jockey, you know, like I said, with my dad too. As much as he did it really tough, he just didn't want me to do what he did, what he had to sacrifice. And, and it's not as much as the riding's great. And even now the riding's great, but the shit part of racing is the other side of it no one sees. And riding, me going out and riding horses, riding winners is, is the most fucking easiest part of the whole thing. Like yeah, it's, right. It's just natural. It's like you going out and catching a wave. It's easy to catch a wave. But going out there to try and teach someone how to get out there and catch that wave is another thing. Yeah. You know? So no one sees that. They only see you coming in on the wave and how good you look. Yeah. It's not seen how you, how you struggle to get out there. So Obviously born and bred into it and off to Sydney. Yeah. So um, I did my last, I was with John Morrissey. Yeah. He's in the Gold Coast there now. Yeah. And then actually, to be honest, I got skull dragged to Sydney. I didn't want to go. I was the king of my own little castle. There was, wasn't many kids around Canberra that stage and it was easy to get rides and easy to ride winners and I was in one of the big stables, that sort of thing. So, yeah, Malcolm Fitzgerald, actually, I always say he was a part of the jockey's situation down there in New South Wales. I think he still is, to be honest. I don't know if he still is, but, yeah, he skull-dragged me. He's like, mate, just go. If you don't like it for three months, just come back. It'll always be here when you come back, which he was always right. And I went there for three months and I'm like, I'm never fucking going back ever again. You know, <laughs> it's too cold and just, I don't know. I've been out of Canberra, but not like Sydney, Sydney, you know what I mean? And I lived there and I lived at Warwick Farm and yeah, I did, I ended up doing about eight months there with uh, Mark and Clary Connors and, you know, wrote a few winners and just changed my trajectory of everything. So yeah. I stayed there for 10 years, not Warwick Farm, but yeah, I stayed on the Warwick Farm for about another two years after that and then moved out to Randwick. And then next minute, you know, you're like 22, 23 Earning good money. Earning good money. Yeah. Riding winners for Bart Cummings and, you know, you think, how good is this? You know, this is just going to last forever, which it doesn't. And then that led me to come towards Brisbane in the end. I think it was actually a thing called EI, a bad horse disease. And I was at Randwick when it happened and um, it stopped all racing for about two or three, I don't know, many people know this, about two or three months. In about 2000 and 2007 or 2006, it was like a, it's kind of like the Hendra virus. I do that. It's oh, kind of like no, the, I remember the Hendra. The Hendra yeah. It's kind of like the Hendra virus, but it wasn't. And that was coming from Centennial Park across the road from Randwick. And the horses, they have heaps of ponies and show horses there. And they were giving it, contaminating the feed or maybe the pigeons. And they brought it over to the thoroughbreds. Anyway, it shut racing down. And my mum had lived in Brisbane for like, I think about two or three years at that stage. already moved from Canberra to Brisbane to work for immigration. 
And mum goes, you haven't come and seen me the whole time I've lived here. Why don't you come on for a holiday? And I'm like, yeah, right. Eh? So I, I went on a holiday out there for a month and I didn't even come back. Like, oh. I, no, I said, how good this place? Like by the time I've done 10 years in Sydney, like it was great. And the traveling was good and the riding and that, but just the change of pace. And and, yeah. and obviously that country still, my well, country boy, but you know, that Canberra boy still in me. Yeah. I just got up here and I was like, how good is this? It's so much slower and everything's like, no one's screaming at each other on the road, like road rage and that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah I did oh, same thing again. Didn't even pack my stuff up. I rang a removalist company and said, pack it a lot, mate, and send it this way. And that's how I ended up in Brisbane. Mate, I went down for a few trials and all that, just in Sydney, out the back, Balmain, West, showing me age there. West was, <laughs> you know, they were still in the uh, New South Wales Cup. I don't know if they still are, but I know what you're talking about. I spent yeah. like three days, four days there. I don't know how you did 10 years. Yeah, well, like it's, I said, going from that first transition from Canberra to there, I thought, how great is this? Yeah, like, you know, true. And you, you do see the light, the lifelight, and you know, you're obviously riding against better jockeys, and you see these trainers and, and these jockeys that you've just idolized your whole life, and next thing you're with them, and you're riding with them, and, and you're riding winners with them, and then you're becoming friends with them, and yeah, it's the bright lights, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and it's a great place, but the cost of living was crazy still, even back then, 10 years, 15 years ago. And like I said, just the multicultural sort of situation in Sydney is just crazy and just mixing all those people together. And, and it's just a real head fuck sometimes, to yeah, be honest. And yeah. Just like I said, that camera coming out of me too was more like Brisbane settled me more. And at that stage too, I wanted to have children too. So you get to a stage where like I've been in Sydney for 10 years. I'd seen a lot. I'd seen one of my best mates been shot. What happened there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Long story. I'll cut it down. You really like probably three years into it. We used to go to the trots. So I went, we all went out to, I think it was, I think it was called Harold Park, I think Harold Park trots or one of them trot scenes out there. And we all went out. We went to a nightclub after and, and one of my mates was, yeah, shot in the back of the head over a pool game. What, like? Yeah, shot in the Brown, back of the head. No, Brown, not dead. No, not still not alive dead. to this day. Luke Quintana, still to this day. So. Yeah, crazy things though. So that's like, you know, and like I said, a kid from camera, like, you know, and I used to take that. I just remember laying in bed one night going, how freaking wild is this? Like you would never bring your children up here, you know what I mean? Not, yeah. not I mean. And like I used to live at Warwick Farm and Warwick Farm sort of like a, it's rough, you know what I mean? It's the rough side of town. But at the end when I moved out to Ramwick, it was a lot better. But yeah, I seen a lot from my apprentice, a, the last six months of my apprenticeship to the two years I did there, that happened. Nearly get run over one day by a bloke's stolen car and that sort of thing. You just see all these things and drugs and it's you just, just to get uh, exposed to everything, you know, and it just, like I said, from camera and that sort of thing, it's, it was a lot to take in. <laughs> and like I said, eventually when Brisbane come up, it was like, this is where I need to be if I want to have a family. It's all happening down in Sydney, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's just too much, you know. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, people love it. And I don't worry, I loved it for 10 years. It was great, you know yeah. what I mean? And the lifestyle's good and, and you make a lot of money and you do a lot of traveling. So you sacrifice that side of things. And my weight was always better down there because I was, I was so consistently riding every day mm. and things like that. So, but like I said, I got the experience to ride with some of the best jockeys in the world at that time. Like Darren Beban took me under his wing there for a little bit and we had the same manager. And like I said, riding winners for Bart Cummings and Graham Rogers and all these sort of. Isn't that a feather in your cap? Yeah. Great man, Bart Cummings. Oh, hey, side story. We went down the Melbourne Cup, went down there with Marky, old mm. man Menion, stood him next to the Bart Cummings statue, dead ringer. <laughs> I'm just like absolute there's a photo of him in there and they're holding the race book and he's leaning like that way and I was just like oh so one thing I've like obviously he's passed and, and that sort of thing and, and great memories but my mum said to me about four or five years ago she goes you've got to keep your shit here that you've had for years like you got to come and sort through it cleaning the house out my mum's retired now and this sort of yeah anyway she goes you wouldn't believe what I found and I'm like what's that you've got a laminated letter from Bart Cummings when you must have applied to go overseas to ride. I said, get out. She goes, I swear to God. And it was like proper Bart Cummings racing lead ahead. I don't think he would have rode it himself. 
obviously one of his secretaries would have yeah, wrote it, yeah. but it's got his signature on it. Yeah, it's all laminated and that, and I must have kept it. So that's just one thing that I've got that I'll be Mate. able to cherish forever, you know? How good. I don't know how many times I heard, like this is talking about keeping things, all the old boys who I played rugby league with, and I'd go to the parties when I was a young fellow, like Mark Shipway and all these guys at Redcliffe. Their wives would be like, oh, yeah, he played here, and I was listening, oh, they've been overseas, he played at this club. All these guys had played NRL and, you know, finishing up their career and their wives would always go, yeah, I wish we kept something from that or I wish I kept a jersey mm. from that. So I kept a jersey from every single team. I thought about throwing them out about 20 times as yeah. well because they're lugging around. But now I'm looking at them going, oh, how good's that? I'm like just, Yeah, I'm glad I kept them because when you're in the moment, like you said, you think it's all going to last forever. There's another jersey coming. There's another winner coming. It's going to be there. But There's no way in the world that I said I'm going to get this letter laminated. I don't know who did that for me, but yeah. whoever did that, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Kept it and it's in mint condition, you know what I mean? But just things like that. And like, I'll keep that for the rest of my life and whether that means anything to my children or whatever later on. But like Sonny, with your, your jersey, at least you've got a story to tell, you know, oh, we've done this, you know what I mean? I mean you can do whatever you sort of you know, stick your mind to. And My grandfather is Desi Mannion, Captain Valleys in BRL to oh, many grand finals, not premierships, because that's when North Devils were unbeatable, basically. And ended up at Brothers for the last of his career. But you say his name in Brisbane and everyone knows it. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to Fatty the other day about it. He goes, mm. you're Desi Mannion's grandson. And then he started rambling stories mm. about Ben then. I was like, yeah, mate. But to say that, I never got to meet him because he died at 38. He died at, at my age now. But he's got a legacy. He's got a legacy. And I know who he is yeah. through those stories and through mm. stuff that, you know, Nana kept and all mm. that. So I find that... um if history isn't kept, it's lost. 100%. And there's so much digital content and all that now. And I get worried about 99% of my photos or, or videos or something like that of Sonny's all on my phone or yeah, all in the cloud so. or you switch the power off, they're all gone. Mm. Like, mm. He doesn't exist. So the transition up to Brisbane, you drop, call the removalist, said, mm. get me gear, move on up. How long did it take for you to establish? Like, what age were you there? What did you do? Did you get an apartment? And did you just rock up the race and go, I'm Ryan Wiggins, can I have some more <laughs> rides? Like, what happened? Well, it wasn't that easy. And I was obviously a bit scared because that, even to do something like that, even if I'm moving from Canberra to Sydney, I had to pretty much get a shove in the back. And then when I was there, I was fine. But then moving that transition from Sydney to, to Brisbane, that was another big step for me. And even for me, as much as I might be a little bit outgoing towards people or think people might think I am, I'm very shy and like keeping my small little circle and that sort of thing and, and don't like trying to get outside the circle too much. And and that was a big step for me, you know, that sort of thing. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to live with my mum for a bit, you know what I mean? And my partner at the time, she come up and we just stayed there at my mum's. And it was good though, because financially I was okay at the time. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to rush into this. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. And what I'll do is I'll ride work for two months, which is crazy. Like to ride work for two months and not take a race ride. Like people just, as soon as you start, turn up the track, they go, who are you? What have you done? Okay, we'll give you a ride next week. But I didn't want that. I just wanted to establish myself get my weight right that was the main thing like i'd had a bit of time off obviously from that ei thing and like they'd pushed us like from not riding but they were paying us at the time we're getting like sort of a workers comp payment so we, i was getting enough money to survive so and like i said financially stable at the time so i was like you know what i'm going to take two months i'm going to ride work i'm going to train three times a day i'm going to get my diet right and i'm going to get my weight down and then when i do it i'm going to attack properly to be honest it's probably the first time and the only time still to this day that that was the decision i made and i stuck to it and it worked you yeah, know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, it worked. Like anything I manifested, it happened straight away. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to ride winner straight away. My first ride one. I'm going to pick the right horse. And then if things happen, it'll happen. But that's what I need to do to try and make it here. And yeah, it worked. So how old were you there? 28, 29? 27, I think. 27. 27. So that's a good mindset for a 27-year-old. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you've been 10 years in, in the limelight 
career started early in Canberra. So you sort of understood the industry. I always say that within the podcast, 10 years and you're an expert. You know, one, two, you're learning. Five, you're good at it. Ten, you're an expert. So you've already done 10 years. You know what's going on. And even to to think about now, I've been running for 20 years now. Yeah, It's crazy. And I'm only 40 years old, just turned 40. So it's like people look at you and they think you're sort of still youngish, but to other jockeys, you're starting to look a bit old. But at the same time, I've seen everything. I've seen everything. I try to explain to people too in races and things like that, going out in a race and seeing what happens in front of me and what's going on, it's just so second nature now. I've seen this replayed over a thousand times. Yeah. Like, I know what position I've got to do to get in to win the race and all this sort of thing. So, yeah. but yeah, like obviously going back to moving up this way, it was a good transition and it worked. You know what I mean? Like I said, when you when you stick to something and you, you manifest something and you set yourself a goal, it was really good for it to come off. And yeah, the first couple of years, probably three or four years was really fruitful for me and established myself here and yeah, I was off and gone. That's when I when I sort of first met you, when you come up the Sunshine mm. Coast. You know, I was cup just- day. Yeah, cup How day. How many years ago was that? Mate, if- Because that's what we used to do. We used to ride Sunshine Coast Cup and stay the night and just go and stay in for Noosa for a couple of nights or that yeah. day with a partner and that's, that's yeah, something I remember for dinner one night. I remember we came up, Hammer and all that came over mm. after the races. I would have been just retired from footy, so I would have been 28. It would have mm. been 12 years ago. It would have been 12 years ago. That's Crazy. nuts. That's insane. Yeah, I remember just because I was like, obviously had heaps of mates like Mitchie and all that who were in racing mm. and I remember starting following your, your journey and everything, just watching you ride and mm. watching you race and I'm going, we guys got some talent here. How good? Mm. Like, it's it's weird because the racing industry is rather you bet on your races and you got no idea about the sport or you can see those little things. You can see the game plan. You can mm. see how horses are traveling. You can see when they're, you know, holding it back on the broad. Mm. Like you, you start learning all those things after 10 years of watching racing, essentially. But you were going great guns in Brizzy. How did the group one come about? You know, so you've, you've, you've established yourself, you've got winners, but there was still that, the carnivals up here, the group ones up here, hadn't got that winner yet. So Yeah, I was, and I had ridden in them in Sydney and things like that. But like you said, Sydney is a different ball game. For someone like me, you're dealing with the best jockeys in the world. We're not saying they're the best, not the best jockeys in the world up here, but the opportunities up here f- to me to find the right horse or something or, or strike a group one was a lot, I'd say a lot easier because I still had to work hard for it. But at the same time too, I could see the opportunity there. I could see light at the end of the tunnel. So I was lucky enough that I was still am a hard worker, but in a different way. Sort of, I was a hard worker. I was always riding work all the time. And my manager at the time is still my manager now, Brad Glenn Denny. He said to me, um, Noel Mayfield Smith from Hawkesbury used to ride for him and that he's bringing a horse up. I said, oh, yeah. And he said, can you help him out and ride at work? He'll pay you. I'm like, pay me to ride. Like, I'm not, that's like, Unheard it's hard of. to explain. You know yeah, what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, what you do on the, you know, rendering and that sort of stuff. You're like, you come in and having to do the job yourself. Like, I don't know what to do. I can, I can get some, I can get paid to get someone else to do that. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's like, anyway, me back then, me now, I would say no. Yeah. But back then I'm like, yeah, right. And he's like, Glenn Collis is right in its next three starts. I'm like, oh, well. Anyway, it is what it is. I'm there anyway, so I'll help him out. And he was good to me back in the day, Noel. You know what I mean? It's not like he wasn't just a random bloke that never helped me out in my life. So, And just to break point there, that is a huge difference mm. as well. Like a good track work rider can be a massive difference in training the oh, horse. Oh, 100%. It is like, so it's not what when you say you can get other people to go do it. Yeah, yeah you can. But then there's guys like you who know how to work them, know when to pull them up and come back and give the proper feedback so then they can. That's all, mate. And all that is is experience. Yeah. All the time I spent in Sydney, I worked for the best trainers. And, and you might have only rode a few winners here and there for them sort of blokes, but you rode from, I've seen 
exactly what every train. I know exactly right now what Bart Cummings would do for a horse that's running in town on, in a 2,000-meter race, what he'd do four days before the race. That's it. It's in your brain forever. And you don't forget those things, you know what I mean? And I think myself and, like you said, experience, I've been around enough to I think I'm a pretty good judge of track work and that sort of thing. And I kind of, and because I work so hard and I always wrote a lot of work, you become better at anything, like anything. You can practice shooting free throws. You're going to get better at it no matter what. If you're there every day doing it every day, you're going to be better than the person behind you that's doing it once a week. So I become very good at it. And like I said, Noel's a bit of a, he was a bit of a stickler for track work too. So my man is like, you know, you ride this horse work, you're going to get paid. Another jockey's already riding it and he's going to be a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Because he's going to be, he's not going to let you get away with anything track work wise sort of thing. Yeah. So. But he was good, Noel. Like, he was very, like I said, very astute trainer. Astute, Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, we're talking like, you know, you'd be out half a second in your track work and he's giving you a spray. You know what I mean? And, and that's a hard thing to do. Like, you've got to have a, a mental thing of, in your brain going all the time about how speed you go on the horse. And, and horses can convince you that they're going faster than they really are or slower than they are by how strong they are and that sort of thing. So, but I was lucky. I got on pretty well with the horse. And to be long story short, to be honest, I rode at work. Glenn Collis rode it twice. And then he got suspended. Or got, he must have got hurt. I reckon he got hurt. And he's like, do you want to ride the horse in the Stradbroke? Ooh. And I'm like, yeah, fucking course I do. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? And it, the horse was probably no chance at the time, which was fine. You know what I mean? So I rode the horse in the Stradbroke and it went okay. You know what I mean? It is what it is. And then I was back down to Sydney on his ferry way. So then fast forward 12 months again, I was coming back with the same horse again. And he's like, do you want to ride at work again? I'm like, oh, yeah, righto. Like, I'll do it again, you know what I mean? But he did reward me with the ride, you know what I mean? Yes. At the end of the prep, you know, he could have put anyone on the horse and there would have been decent jockeys in the room still to that day that didn't have a ride in the race and he was returning the favour sort of thing for me, helping him out. Anyway, as it turned out, pretty much the same thing. He's like, Glenn's going to ride it. Glenn, one of them races that I was riding at work at won the Prime Minister's Cup down at the Gold Coast. Anyway, he's like, Glenn's going to ride the horse again, but he can't ride it first up. Do you want to ride it in the BTC Cup BTC. first up? I said, yeah, right. And we're talking like, it is kind of now lead up to them sort of races, like to the Stradbroke and, and that sort of thing. But we're talking like the horses that were nominated for this race, these horses are freaks. Mm. It's all like Buffering, Temple of Boom, Spirit of Boom, all these good horses. And they're just, this is just like a tune-up race from one of them to win a group one. Wasn't that a great era though? Yeah. That like three-year period yeah. of those horses was like, There's like five horses in that race that every time they raced every two weeks, they were getting a different winner. Yeah. It's a different horse, you know what I mean? And to be honest, Buffering was a good horse then, but he wasn't the horse he was like two years after that. Like he was struggling against them sort of horses. So anyway, Noel's like, you can ride him first up, but you can't. Like he's being booked for him. So I said, yeah, yeah sweet. Anyway, I'm getting something out of it. You know what I mean? And the horse won. Yeah. Like just randomly, the horse won. I just, you know, there's no pressure. The horse had been working really well with leading up to that stage. Like I was quietly confident because I'd ridden the horse last season and then was riding, like, this isn't, this horse is like improved. Like it's got better and he's stronger and he's breathing better and, I don't know, there's just something about him. Like he might have him a bit wound up for this sort of first up sort of thing. And he's 20 to 30 to 1 against these sort of horses. Like these sort of horses have knocked off many group ones already and he's just been battling around running, you know, nice fourth and fifth in these sort of races. Like it was a good job of Noel to even think that he could win one of these races, to be honest. Yeah. He had a lot of he had a lot of faith in the horse. Cut to the day and there was no pressure. There was no nothing. There was like just ride him out the back, bring him to the outside. Hopefully it runs on good, you know what I mean? And just, you know, keeping balance that sort of so I'm going out there to a group one, which I've ridden in them plenty before, but the first time I've ever ridden in one, there was no pressure at all. Like usually you're under the pump, like the, you know, the source needs to win this or you've got a bad gate or getting one one from yeah. your, from barrier seventeen yeah. for me. <laughs> and I've had chances, but not I've ridden a couple of places in Oaks and that sort of thing, but they were horses where 
like I said, again, there was no pressure and, you know, they're probably just struggling in the race, but they've run really good races sort of thing. So, yeah, there was no pressure and, like I said, just treated like a barrow troll. He said pretty much going out, <laughs> his goal was the next couple of starts. So, anyway, same thing, just went out and just rode him like a barrow troll, getting to the half mile and going, I'm going pretty good here. Like, he's half like, a bit strong, this horse, and I'm looking up and Temple of Boom and it was uh, buffering and cutting each other in half in front. Going, yes. They're going fast. Oh, they're going pretty fast. So. And I just come off their backs and I just thought, oh, fuck, this horse is going to run a really good race. Like, and I go past the winner post and I've won the race and I went, I didn't even pull the stick on the horse. Wow. Like, How old is that? This horse is 30 to 1. I give it a slap down the shoulder and just went, ah, and he just fucking blew him away. It was just crazy. And I, and I remember, and obviously your first group one, like everything just goes fast. And I had a little bit of tunnel vision, like down the straight. I'm like, I'm going good. Like, but I was just looking forward to. I'm going to run a good placing. How good is this? It was a really good feeling, like euphoria feeling sort of thing. And then yeah. you go past the winning person and go, holy fuck, that just happened. You know <laughs> what I mean? You've been working for this your whole life and you didn't put any pressure on yourself and it just happened. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was a really good feeling, to be honest. And and like I said, to be mixed up with a horse. And now I went on to ride him after that and all the, the stray broke and, yeah. and the 10,000 and things like that. So he was a good horse to me. Yeah. Good horse to Mate, me. I looked it up this morning. I just looked up that photo again of you coming across the rail and it's sort of like, you're cheering, but there's that shock look on your yeah. face as well. Like uh, it was like it was too easy. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, the horse race like it was a dollar fifty, and all I had to do was just get him around and bring him to the outside against and, and that caliber. These horses went on and won like twenty, thirty group ones between them. He'd never won another group one again ever. This horse, but it's just the stars aligned. The horse is working good. I've ridden the horse before. There's no pressure. And it just all worked out and yeah, it's all history. Wow. It's good to win one, obviously. They yeah. don't come around very often. Like no. you said, now there's a lot more of them in Australia. And, you know, these jockeys, they win. These good jockeys, they would get the chances of winning. And you know what? Nothing against owners and they want to put the best jockeys on because they only get one chance at these sort of things. And that's what they've done. And, and you're just lucky enough to win one. It's so hard to win one in Australia, to be yeah. honest. You know, like all these jockeys, they travel around and it's a lot easier to win them overseas. There's a lot more of them and, and stuff like that, New Zealand and even Singapore and them sort of places. But I, I used to give Ronnie Stewart shit all the time. I said, he'd ridden like five group ones after before I'd ridden my first one. I said, hey, you haven't won one in Australia yet, so he's lucky enough. <laughs> a couple of years ago, you got to win <laughs> the Sydney Cup. Sydney Cup, <laughs> so, that was a great ride. So too. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That was another one. No one expected him to do it. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Just written off out the back just yeah the and you know what and to be honest and a lot of people know that in racing i know ronnie really well and he's a really good friend of mine i've known him from, since i was 16 we're from canberra and shout out ronnie stewart yeah, and no one else would have won on that horse mate because i watched the race and they go i don't know how you held that horse for that long mate because i'm me no i'm not like i am now these days and like, i would have got down the back and went, yeah, all right mate pull this off you go buddy yeah and ronnie just sat there and hell you just see his little body he's so small ronnie you know, yeah. like this and he's so strong though and he just held it and held it and held it for probably an extra four or 500 meters than any other jockey would have given a fuck about doing. And it won him the race. You know what I mean? And that's crazy. It's so weird. People think, once again, who don't understand the sport, like yeah. how much technique and technicians and decision making that yeah. goes, look, you get to throw the book at it at a bad ride and eight horse race on a class one. You yeah. Do something stupid there, throw the book at it. But people who throw the book at you in group races like that, yeah. like, come on, man. Come and, on, you've and, got... and a lot of these joggies don't get that many goes at them. So when yes. they're out there, they're just doing their absolute best. Like, yeah. I just want this horse to win. And, and like, they would, you know, there's great joggies and they get to ride many of them. They ride plenty of group ones. But the jockey's sort of like me. You don't get many chances. And when you get that chance, you need to make the most of it. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and you manifest things happening and you've got to really think about stuff and yeah, you got everything needs to go your way. Like you don't need to be a hard luck story, you know? I mean? no. like, 
Talking about good jockeys getting good rides, like that was the, the one story that I remember was when Winks was going, was it three or four Cox plates, one of them. Anyway, the rail was off, the inside was off, that whole ground. But Huey took up one of his rides in like race three and just tested it. Went yes. down there and just went, and it was a dollar fifty favorite or dollar eighty favorite, and it just went plug, plug, plug. He goes, I'm not going there. Yeah. So, but what about if you're the owner of that owner of that horse? I told you not to go there. Oh, just you know, just in case. Yeah, Rod weeks later, you, you can walk the tracks all you want, unless you go over them with a horse. Everything's it's different. But it'd be different if that was like a stakes race for someone who hadn't done a run. There's like that's the point, like. Huey knows he's got three more group runs coming up mm. and then he's got 30 more for the year. So mm. and people don't realize like, and I used to say that to everyone all the time, like when Winx was winning all these races, they're all saying, oh yeah, you know, she's the best horse, you know, anyone could ride her. Like, you know, even I could ride her. She wins that easy. I'm like, people don't realize the stress that he would have went through those couple of years. And I reckon it, it dulled on his career after she retired. Oh, it like he to. took a backward step for a long time. Huey was like, to. I just need to chill out. Like, I just don't want to hear her name again. Like he would have been stressed out to his eyeballs yeah. and just things like, the whole country's on your back. Like they're all like, you yeah. miss the kick or yeah. you make a bad decision. Well, there was that one run second up where um, who booted clear? There was no way that he could have won. Like the winner was, I think it was about 15 lengths off in the lead yeah. at the 400 and he was in the back of the pack, which actually slowed down the tempo even more. There was one time that I thought was that this might be the same race, but they actually tried to put earmuffs on her. To try oh, and really? sell her down in the gates because she used to play up in the gates. And she come out the back and she was like, kind of didn't want to tack on. And, and people don't realize that earmuffs, they can really, the horses can take them the other way. Like they can really slow them, settle them down. But at the same time, they can really slow them down. It's like driving a car that's in neutral time. You're trying to put it in first gear, but it won't jump into first gear. And it takes a lot of, you know, convincing to do it. And that was, I think that might have been one of her runs. Yeah. That was that run. And that was like, I remember watching going, oh, she's going to get beat today. She's too far back. But yeah. Horses, they oh find a way. Find that a was way. like, oh, yeah, I remember. But it. the stress he would have been under, mate. Like people don't realize. Like I used to just watch and, and everyone would go, "How good's he in the wings?" And I'm watching. And the first thing I think of, I think about how Huey's feeling. Yeah, like I know he's confident in that, but deep down inside, he's like, one day it has to happen. Like he yeah. gets to a stage when they're twenty wins up. Like she's got to get beat sooner or later. Like this, mm. it's a law of averages. Like we have, I haven't seen that in my lifetime. Or a lot of people won't see that in their lifetime, but. And racing good horses. So yeah. sooner or later, someone's going to get the pinch on you or, you know, she's going to be having an off day or something like that. You know, they or, can't, or go on the early crow. Well, they can't talk, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but yeah, he did well. And like I said, I reckon a couple of years after that, he, he really took a backward step. And now he's just, since he's gone back to Hong Kong, he's having another full crack again. Yeah. But that would have been very stressful to de-stress out of that whole That whole saga. situation. Yeah. And same with um, Black Caviar, Luke yeah. Nolan overseas at Royal he Alaska. Same, he did the same thing, yeah. Like just eased up, felt a little something in the horse, thought he had it home and mm. caught in by that. He nearly got, mm. if that happened, if he didn't win, he would have got crucified. Oh, that was it. That's like a uh, a politician and a sex scandal. Basically, your career is over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that got if Black Caviar got beat at Royal Ascot, and especially overseas, like it's such a big thing oh, for Australians to go over there. Yeah, and the Pommies would have loved it. Just 100%. said it to us a million times. But mate, so I mean, you're in a good mindset there. Mm. Were you training in the background? What, yeah, what, what was, was everything going? I was doing a lot of training. As you know, I was training with Corey. I've been Corey for a long time. Yeah, you know, boxing Corey McConnell. You go good, world champion boxer. Mm. Yeah, mate, for a jockey, I've good, seen it. Good at hitting the pads. Yeah, I've seen a lot of <laughs> Didn't you have a fight? Yeah, I had a fight. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, it was good. In, in yeah, that... I liked it. I liked it. But thing with boxing is too, it's something that I should like experience probably only the last 10 years. It's like got on my radar where I wish I would have loved to have been doing it when I was 18 years old. So it's probably something I would have pursued, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because of our size and that sort of thing. But yeah, as you know, you get older and you get slower and that sort of thing and you're trying to pick up, you're trying to learn something in your body. 
won't react to, you know what I mean? Where like riding comes second nature for me. Like, but if yeah. you're out there trying to teach me to surf now, like it'd be hard work, you know yeah. what I mean? So, but yeah, it was good and I love it. But it was the only thing that I used to like, people go, go out and run the streets and lose weight. And that's something it, it becomes a real monotonous. Like it's just, I can't, I know you love running. I yeah. can't do what you do. Like I just don't have it in me. Yeah. I could sit on a treadmill and watch a podcast, but I can't go out and run the streets. I don't know why I can't do it. Or even used to my ex-partner, she used to say, I'll put the sweat on, I'll run for two hours. I ain't come back. I'll just run like I've got nowhere to go for two hours and then you'll have to come pick me up because I couldn't turn around because I knew how far it was to come home. Yeah. And I just, I don't have that mentally in my brain. Yeah. So boxing was one thing that I liked doing. It was training, but I was also teaching myself something different and it was keeping my mind manipulated that I wasn't actually training or losing weight because I was actually trying to learn something. Yeah. That, and I enjoyed it. That spark. Yeah, like I enjoyed Corey, it. Especially Corey, Corey McConnell, world champion boxer. Yeah, he's gone. Gone. Still is gone. Yeah, still is. <laughs> he's mad as a hatter, but he's gone. I actually played... Uh, my first couple of games of Q Cup was against Jock, his yeah. brother, Brent McConnell, because he was like- Good football. Right? Yeah, great football for Burley Bears. Mm. I actually got to play Oztag with him in a couple of rep teams mm. later. And I was like, hey, Jock, mm. here you going? But uh, yeah, I'd, and Corey, so that's a great like sporting family there. But yeah. yeah, to be learning of someone like that as well. Well, that's the same great. thing too, like you said, like a world champion boxing. He, and Corey's uh, he's a bit like me. He's a bit bit OCD. Like he, he's, he's like, oh, I'm going to teach you or coach you to you know help you lose weight in that. But I ain't fucking just going to go out and hit the pads and you're going to hit the pads like 50%. Yeah, no, 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 everything, no, no. yeah. We're not doing this, mate. You've got to learn something and I'm going to teach you and do it fucking properly. And that's yeah. what he's like, you know what I mean? And he's good like that. Yeah, obviously, after the group one, it was great. Like it was, you know, everyone's full of praise. Like, you know, he works hard and he's been here for two years and he's been working his ass off and he deserves this. I remember even like Rob Heathgate saying to everyone, like they were interviewing him because I've knocked him off on buffering and they said, this was buffering's group one. He's finally going to win a group one and here I am knocking him off. And he said, yeah, as much as it was sad that I was in, I couldn't, you know, someone like Ryan, I've seen him, he's been working his ass off for three years here. Like he turns up, rides work five days a week and He's working really hard to keep his weight down and that's what he actually deserves this. So it is what it is. And that was really nice, Rob, because he's not really nice at saying nice things <laughs> to people. But at the same time too, I'll always remember that because there was like justification, like what I've done as much as I want to group one, it'd be great to tell my, you know, show my dad and it's yeah. what I've done and my family. To someone like him was like, you kind of deserve that because we've been watching you and yeah, so things, things don't happen for no reason, you know. No, that's right. So where did that work ethic click in? Like where did you pick that up from and how? Like – my old boss and Kim. Really? John Morris. Oh, yeah. Work to the bone, mate. And you know what? And we say it these days, and any jockey will come on here or a trainer or any owner or anything will say to you, apprentice these days, it's it's totally different. Like the world's changed. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? Like, but my era, like 40 now. So when I was an apprentice, used to work six days a week, get one day off a week, one afternoon off a week. And I used to work for John Morris. He had a lot of horses in work and we used to start at four and we'd finish about 12 have a lunch for an hour and then just go back and just keep going back into the afternoon. So it was pretty much a full day job where today, these days, they would never do that. Like it's, you know, four till seven and then you get like a five hour, six hour break and then you might come back in the afternoon. But a lot of these kids these days, they don't have to go back in the afternoon. Like they're, they've got races and that sort of stuff. There wasn't as much racing, obviously, when I first started. Like I pretty much was only riding two or three times a week until I moved to New South Wales. But as much as it was, it wasn't fun. But then when it's in your brain, it's like I always say I always meet football players all the time and they're like, yeah, we are football and blah, 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 and I train and I was a pain in the ass and you know, we used to work our asses off. And I say, what do you do now? He goes, yeah, I still train. <laughs> they still, they all train. Yeah. They all still, it's just, it's like going to the army. Like you've got that in your brain and then that sort of thing, that's what you do. You know, you get used to, you get up and you make your bed every day and you, yeah. you make sure everything's clean and 
make sure everything's straight and that and then you go out and exercise and that's and they know mentally that's how you feel good when you do that sort of thing like you know yourself when you stop i stop and i'm not training properly i'm not eating properly my mental health changes everything changes things don't go as good and then you know you know what you need to do to get back so that's what you do so i think back then it was definitely ingrained into me like my dad was hard on me too but at the same time too john morrissey worked me hard and for a good three or four years and even when I went to Clary Connors in Sydney, I always tell everyone this story because these kids are like, oh, I get work too hard and blah, blah, blah. And we ride at a night meet and I've got to be at track work in the morning. I'm like, fucking please. Like my last day of my apprenticeship, like I've done four years. I've worked my ass off. It was a Sunday. It fell on a Sunday. And he's like, see you in the morning. After I rode a winner for him in town on Saturday, he's like, see you in the morning. I said, I'm finished. Like I'm done. I'm f- can I just go out tonight and have a good night? He's like, Make sure you're there at 4.30 in the morning, mate. I was there at 4.30 morning cleaning out boxes and cleaning out waters and then that was my last day. And in the morning, actually, he come and said to me, you don't have to come this afternoon. You're sweet, mate. You're right. You're uh, done, you know? But still made me turn up. Yeah. And as much as I hated it and I thought, fuck, there's just no give or anything like that. No. Later on in life, it's like writing work and doing everything. Else, that's the easy part. It's all of like the wasting sort of parts taken over sort of thing. So the actual working hard is not that hard, to be honest. No. Look, I had to learn that because growing up, I was always a balance between rugby league and surfing. Now, they're two contradicting sports because surfing is relaxed, time, patience, selection, you know, enjoyment. You still get a lot of power and you still get a bit of competition in there. But rugby league training, especially when once I got to the the higher levels, I had to learn that there's no days off. Like, and every session was high intensity. This is before they learned, you know, all these training methods, you know, do shit, 80% fun before you get injuries. It was like strength as hard as you go. Now we're doing contact that afternoon and then we're pretty much playing a game of footy tomorrow morning and then in the Arvo, we're going to do this. And then, you know, once every six weeks, we'll we'll dabble with yoga and then you'd feel really good. Don't get me wrong. You do that one yoga session with the chicken, oh, this feels amazing. I'm going to get into yoga. And then you go back and do high intensity sessions five times a week and try and play on weekends. I'll ask you this question then, and I find that stuff sort of interesting because do you think back then there was a lot more injuries than there are now? Well, yeah. I don't know because I don't really pay attention to injuries right now or who's in, who's out. To be honest, I don't watch rugby league too much anymore. Mm. I've just moved on from that part of my life, you know, and I'm doing new things. I'm running podcasts. I love podcasts. Mm. That takes a lot of my time. Dad, like I still don't surf as much as, as what I do, but I think the wear and tear on your body in those trying to make it people yeah not so much you know the top we still had great care you know what i mean i did my acl i was in the operation room next week same thing with shoulders rehabs everything was really good i just think that high intensity was just always bang 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 on your body and there'd be little things like by the end of the season beginning of the season no tape in the dressing room end of the season Everyone's got like, <laughs> you got seven bits of here. There's like the bill for the elastoplast by the end of the year <laughs> and, would have been tripled at and, least. And so much contact. Yeah. Contact, yeah. Well, see, this was in the era when um, Bellamy and Melbourne were flying high and you couldn't beat them. They were unbelievable, unbelievable team. Don't get me wrong. But they based their training. They were doing like full contact three or four times a week. Full contact in training. They were getting most of their injuries in training. training. But they were winning premierships and doing stuff like that. So then- all these other teams tried to adapt this. Like coaches like, oh, that's what Bellamy and Melbourne's doing and they're winning. We're going to introduce more contact. I reckon people drop like flies. Yeah, imagine so, the players too. Oh, they wouldn't have looked that really well. Mate, they? I remember one, oh, some fat loser trying to prove his fucking point. Can't even remember his name. 
But he came in like we're doing like this little two and three drill, like shots, like wrestle, doing all that. And he's coming in, he drove his elbow straight into my sternum. This was like week four of the season. I was just like, yo, can you crack me sternum? Rest of the year, I had a plate. I had to go get needles before I played every time. And I was just like, that for me was one of the dumbest things on yeah. a contact thing. And I've heard it before, you know, guys, it's illegal now, but mate, when people used to hold him up, hold him up, the core was fucking drive him, get in there and drive him. If, if someone was holding him up like that, I'd see him from here to there away and I'd go, jump to the ground. Bang, ribs, something, yeah. that's me, you're out. Especially if it was a player of value. That's how rugby league was back in the day. So a lot of it's changed now. Like, yeah. You obviously know a few football players and so do myself my now. And you'd be surprised how many days off they get and stuff like that now. It's like, I'm an advocate. Off and they play golf and they get a day off to rest or the day off to recovery and that sort of thing. But they work hard. But once they get to a certain, I think that when they get into a certain level of fitness, that's when it's like horse training. Yeah. You've got to get into a certain level and then you've got to maintain that for so long. Yeah. You know, so. And rugby league season is a long, long. It is long, long season. Isn't it weird how that like the mentality like, changes? Well, everything's changed. Like, and everything's like talking about sports. Like, and obviously being a jockey, same thing. Like my dad used to struggle with his weight. And what we can do now and the nutritionists we have and that sort of stuff. And you have everything at your feet, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, it, it does help. Mate, okay. So, love and life. Yeah. How good. High five and riding winners, you know, going great yeah. within Queensland and Brisbane. Established your name. A little holiday came knocking. Where'd you go? I went to Mauritius. Yeah. Mauritius. I call it Maurice. Maurice. I I'm so bad at English. I've got a podcast. I speak um, every day in the language. It actually, I actually went there for the first time I went there was like pretty much straight after group one. Like they said, like they have a season. Their season goes from like March till November. And I think the group one was in say, May. Then I rode June, July, August. And then they said, oh, do you want to come ride for three months, September, October, November? And I said, and I was like, I needed a holiday anyway. I was like, this will be a good working holiday. They only race once a week. The weights are raised, which is great. Where is Mauritius? Mauritius is a, a small island of South Africa, three hours from South Africa. It's their Bali. Yeah, it's right. Our Bali. Same thing. Beautiful beaches. Everything's cheap. You can have really cheap accommodation and really expensive accommodation. But this thing is this little island. Right? They reckon it's a quarter of the size of Tasmania, and just under two million people live there wow. on this island. But they all live in the same spot in town. <laughs> So it actually, there's this town and everyone's there and then there's just heaps of land. Like there's a lot of farming and that sort of stuff and you could travel from one end of the island to the other in about an hour and a half, two hours, but yet everyone was just condensed in the one populated area. So yeah, it was wild. I was the first time I've ever been over there. I was like, oh, this is going to be wild. No, lucky enough, a few jockeys had been, a lot of jockeys actually have been over there for that sort of, they've gone over there. This is something you've got to experience. They get like 10, 15,000 the races every Saturday. Old school, there's no corporates. You have to turn up to the races and bet. From Thursday to Saturday, they have the bookmakers on course and you can turn up when the markets open up on a Saturday and you can get on. Like These people are betting big money, you know what I mean? And they're a poor country, but for some reason, they're just, that's their only thing. Like They don't have that in soccer. They don't have casinos, no gambling, no nothing, just the horse races every Saturday. And it's but apparently it's the oldest, second oldest track in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's been around for a long time through generations and generations of people. And it's a tight track. There's nothing nice about the track. It's like a 50-cent piece. It goes up three stories from the top of the straight, from the bottom of the straight to the top of the straight to the winning post. It's three stories high. So you're just like on a gradual gain uphill. Yeah, yeah. So no momentum, like they're fighting It's like it. a 250-meter straight and it just feels like it takes forever to get there. 
It's well, just, yeah, uphill battle. And poor horses, like they're not poor horses, but they do all their work early and then they've got to do their best at the end. You know what I mean? So it breeds tough horses. They get a lot of their horses from South Africa and stuff like that. But yeah, the money's big, like big money, big cash money. You know what I mean? Sort of it, when you've got something like that, like gambling store and that, people are willing to put money towards horses. The prize money's terrible. Like it's like Gold Coast on a Saturday. There's nothing there. You don't even see that. Like I remember you just get the checks every week. The guys told me, they said, you just get the checks every week and just put them in your top drawer. And then when you go to leave at the end of the year and that you've got to pay tax, he said, just give them all the checks and that'll cover your costs. That's how much money you made. So it's nothing. There's no money there and that sort of thing. But gambling wise, because the owners are backing their horses, they put you on a retainer. So I was getting a retainer. I was getting about, the first time I went, it was about, well, only about eight or 9,000, which I thought was great. It was like two grand a week or whatever, just to be there, yeah. get an apartment, a car. And then every time you ride a winner, you know, the slings vary from $2,000 to like 7,000 Aussie. I was like, that's pretty good money. Like I was riding winners in town and everything in, in Brisbane, but the prize money in Brisbane wasn't still that great then. It, no. was, it was good money, but to make that sort of money tax-free yeah. was great. And you're on a little island like Bali and it's like, how good you only have to ride yeah. on Saturdays. And you're not wasting. Not wasting. <laughs> what did you ride at over there? So this was the demise of my weight, to be honest. So I spent like obviously three months there, just under three months. And the minimum, I didn't ride 57 I think I rode it twice in three months. That was as light as I had to ride. Wow. So next minute I'm walking around like, I've let my body go. I was like, you know, this is the best chance to let my body recover. I'm going to let myself go and just be a bit normal. The food is beautiful over there. Anything you can think of, they've got it. They, you know, seafood's cheap as it was cheaper to eat lobster than it was to eat steak and stuff like this. So you're just going out and you're just going, oh, well, this I'll have, I'll have a lobster and a steak. <laughs> just, and if I don't eat it, I don't eat it. It's nothing. It's the same price as a steak at home. You know what I mean? So. At the end of the day, I was probably eating too much and that sort of thing. But I did let myself go. And, and like I said, I, did, I only rode 57 probably twice the whole time. And yeah, I just, I got back to Australia. I remember having my first, I was actually for Robert Heathcote. I had my first ride back on a Wednesday at Eagle Farm and it had 60 kilos and it won. And I just remember pulling up going, holy shit, I feel terrible. Uh, like I've never felt like this on a horse before. You know what I mean? I'd lost yeah. a lot of weight leading up to the ride. It had like 60 kilos. Up. But anyway, I thought it'd be right. I'll just chip away at it. And to be honest, it was just like an ongoing battle for the next two years to try and get my weight down. And I don't think I ever rode light after that ever again. Like three months I did there, and then I did another year and a half at home, and then they offered me to go back again. So I'm battling with my weight for two years. Like I'm riding like 55, 56, but like it's all of a sudden gone to a new level. I'm getting older. My body's slowing down. You've let yourself go for three months. And you're just doing your best. But at the end of the day, I, I was probably only putting like 70 or 80% into it instead of 110%. And as you know yourself, you know, put 110% into it, yeah. you're only going to get 70% results. And that's yeah. what I got. 55, 56, struggling your ass out. Instead of waking up 55, 56, I was losing three or four kilos to get down to ride 54, 55, 56. So it wasn't great. So then when the opportunity comes to go for a year, I'm like, fuck that, I'm going back. You know, I mean, this is, I need to go back. And the money was obviously great last time. So yeah, I spent 12 months, oh, just under 12 months, 10 months. I did a whole season there. Me, Steve Arnold, and James Winks, Brad Pegelli come over for a little bit, Matthew Palmer. And yeah, me. I think me and, um, who did I say the first draw here was? Sorry. Steve Arnold. Steve Arnold, sorry. Yeah. Steve. Goodbye. Same thing, Steve. We're the only ones that last the whole season. Anyway, same thing. Steve come back to Australia, never rode again. Yeah, yeah he so, didn't, did he? No, he had a couple of rides and that was the end of him. You know what I mean? And He's always really struggled bad with his weight, but just that 12 months of just letting yourself go, probably led, and he was always strict anyway because he had to be to ride that sort of weight. But I think it just giving that little bit more leeway when he came back to Australia, it was just, yeah, stop. 
Oh, mate, I can contest to that. That letting yourself go or the comfort zone. You imagine letting yourself go for 12 months. That takes, it, you know yourself. Well, it I takes, did. It takes two years to get back. Yeah, it does. It, does, it, does, it takes two years and that's dedication yeah, every, every single day. Because I remember talking to you over there like because I'd be, this is when I was like sort of on my little bender like, all stuff like that, but I'd be awake early or, you know, not sleeping right. And, oh, what's Wigo doing? I know he'd be awake about now. Time difference. Yeah, yeah. time difference. And he'd get, feed me a few stories and what's mm. going on over there. And, but I remember when you're coming back and I was in the midst of doing that and you asked me, you go, what are you doing? Because I'm struggling. <laughs> like I'm sick. I've come back and I'm just like heavy and I sort of, you know, different directions. This is what I'm doing. That, mm. But I was in that 110 zone and I was like in the just calorie restricting food, mm. but my body enjoyed it. Like it was completely different. And I actually had a podcast with a chick, Hannah, and she talks about the biohacking and, and your genetics and what foods are right for you, completely different to me and, mm. and our personalities and, you know, fasting. And that's why I'm comfortable not eating all day and I can do the one meal a day and my body will run well off that where there's others that need the five to six, the short term, the mm. turnaround and everything like that. And that's the best way for them, metabolism to kick. Yeah, that coming back. What did you have to do? How long did that take you? It just didn't end. It I don't didn't think end. it still has. That was like 2017 to 2018. Come back, had a couple of months of riding, felt, had an injury, broke my back, was off for two months, got married. Then you're on the same sort of like, I've just spent a year overseas. I've had two months off. Now I'm getting married. I'm going on honeymoon. Like it just never stopped. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like all of a sudden, I'm not saying it went on the back burner, but it's like I've got to make a decision what I want to do now to keep riding. I either don't do it, I get my weight down, or I find some other option that would suit me, you know what I mean? And to be honest, I tried for a long time and I've always been clean. Like there's other people like you can do other things to try and help yourself lose weight. And you'd have to take time off so you could take sort of drugs that you could use to help you with your metabolism because my metabolism just stopped. Like yeah. was, you're talking like you're 37, 36 years old and you know, you've had a year off pretty much. You've just floated around and rode and just wasted your guts out here and there to ride heavy. And then my body's just like, no more. And you feel like you're getting fat. You feel like you look fat. Yeah. You look fat yourself. You know what I mean? You look in the mirror and you're just not the same person. And it just comes to the stage where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't. I tried to get down the ride light a few times and I did it. And you can always do it. Yeah. But like to do it week in, week out no. is the next, like Corey used to say to me, he goes, mate, I used to waste hard too because like, he was a good amateur career and that sort of stuff before. He, and they, they have to do the wasting sort of thing and make sure they, they cut weight and that sort of thing because we'd do it every three to six months. And then, But when we're doing amateurs, we had to do it for a week straight. And that's so easy. You used to do it week in, week, week out, out, 52 weeks a year. He said, that is crazy. Yeah. He said, I know how, you don't understand. He knows and I understand how strong you have to be mentally to continually do that. 52 weeks straight without any injuries or, you know, you have a holiday. Not 52, then the season starts again. It just doesn't end. doesn't end. You get Christmas Day off and Good Friday off. That's all they've got. And they're trying to get you to ride Boxing Day the day after Christmas and that sort of thing. It's just crazy. So I obviously started a small family and I've had two children and, and I was like, I just don't know. And But the thing is with riding too, it's such a good life. Like if I could just ride and not waste, it's oh. the best job. Like it is the best job in the world anyway. As much as I do it tough and it's really hard sometimes and mentally and physically it's hard on my body, but it's still the best job in the world. Well, but you, you love riding. You, but you imagine taking that wasting side out of it and just go, you just turn up the races, have yourself a coffee and turn up the race and ride five or six horses and go home and have a steak that night and turn up and do it the next day. You'd be just like, how easy is this? this uh. is... And then the thing is too, being a jockey for that long time, I don't know anything else. 
Yeah. It's hard for me, you know what I mean? I've done it from day one. I think I've had one other job since I was, <laughs> when I was a kid. I used to do the milk run before I started becoming a jockey, like other jockeys started a milk run. And that's all I did. Like that's before I started riding, that's it. So I don't know anything else and I don't, I'm not qualified to do anything else. You pretty much, if you leave what I do, you have to stay in racing, either whether it's training or just riding work for someone or become a professional punter. I don't know. What is there to do? You know what I mean? So, And you need to find something that you've lived this lifestyle your whole life too. It's hard and it's great at the same time too, but the money's good. Yes. And these days, I mean, I tell people what sort of money I make or what sort of money you see other jockeys make. They go, you what? You make that much money? And I'm like, yeah. But they make that much money. Like, there's big money. Like, yeah. look at people like Zach Purton and, and James McDonald. That's and insane. Like, it's just crazy. They're people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what about K-Mac when he went on that run? He won the yeah. Everest and the Melbourne Cup in the same year. There's 600, 800K. And like your best football player in NRL is making 800, maybe meals a season. A maybe. season. But that's after he takes his managers, his tax and everything out. By the time he clears everything, he's making four or 500000 You know what mm. I mean? These jockeys are bringing home a million, a million and a half dollars. Like yeah. the top ones. And then you've got someone like Zach, he's taken it to another level and he's making probably two or three million dollars a year or whatever possibly it could be on the side, like, you know, yeah. sling-wise and that sort of yeah. stuff. So, well, he rode five winners on the weekend just gone. Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. So, and people don't realize that you get seen that your whole life and you go, okay, well, I'll just go do a job and make, Sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah. Like, unless you've been lucky enough to be good with Smart. your money, which none of us have. No, unfortunately, Mate, I've only just learned, start learning about money like the last, say, four years, mm. essentially, because being in building has always been. I've made good money, but it's never in my bank account. It there's two hundred thousand dollars worth of invoices mm. out there. That's it. It's just it's floozy. And once I started understanding that you can leverage that and leverage this to borrow debt and buy investments and then that creates cash flow and cash flow is king. Well, now I start understanding where how to use money and start using it. But imagine if you knew that when oh. you're 20, you'd be done. And people say that too. Like they say, oh, if you were smarter with your money, because I, I blew all my money and I went through a divorce and all that sort of thing. Everyone's done that. And then you go- if Everybody's had a divorce. You haven't had one. You haven't done it. You haven't lived. <laughs> uh, I'll stick uh, with the breakup, yeah. mate. I'm getting married in a you're week. Right? <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah, signing me up already. <laughs> Especially at your age, not a good idea. Yeah, Ellie, Ellie Blocky is. So. <laughs> it's just hard to transition to fathom like everyone said, oh, if you were smart with your money. You know what? If I was smart with my money, I would have retired when I was 30. Yeah. And what would I be doing then? You know, oh, great. Have all the money in the world or whatever. And, you know, it's great. Yeah. And it'd be a lot better off. But at the same time too, still doing what I love. I'm fit and I'm healthy. Keep my body going. Some people, it is the money, but yeah. then once they've established that, it's not. It's like we're devised to do stuff. We mm. need to be doing things as well. And especially people with no goals. And I see this with rugby league players who have finished yeah. and lose their identity. I don't know about jockeys or met a couple who, and they're, it's like you're out of the circle. And you, like you said, you either have to be a punter, trainer, or riding track work, or mm. find some way to stay in the industry, or you're out. That's it. And then who are you? You know, yeah. and people start. I wouldn't know Steve Arnold if I seen him down the street, but I know There's he was. Cox play, it's Melbourne. Yeah, Clubs, that's right. I know he was a good jockey, but I wouldn't. But know I, him. I just, I just don't think I ever wanted to be that person. Is like, who's that guy riding work? Like young kids, like they don't know no. young kids. You know what I mean? They, oh, that's Ryan Wiggins. You know, he used to be a good yeah. jockey. Like, he rode a group one winner. And I was like, I don't want to be that person. No. You know? Like, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. Yeah. And until my body says no more, which I'm pretty sweet at the moment. Like yeah. I've been lucky with injuries and that sort of stuff, but. These jockeys, they ride to like, I don't think I could do that. They ride to like, they're 50, 55 years old. Like, geez, they've just got two knee yeah. reconstructions. I'm like, that's like a two knee reconstructions. But that's like the Steve Menzies and the, there's um, Cliffy Lyons. Those blokes, like, I love it. And if I could surf for as long as I can, I will. But those guys are different. 
they're different. Like it's like I need to play rugby league this weekend. Yeah. I need it's to like play. Jimmy, he doesn't need to ride anymore. Like no. he, he's done well for himself. You know, his name is not going to get any worse or any better from what he does now. The next five to ten years. No. But he's got two new knees. He's like, I'm going to get another five years out of this. Oh, and I was just, like, you're fucking mad. Like, what is wrong with you? Just like, loves it. Just loves it. Just right? loves just it. hard about the game. And, and don't get me wrong, I am too, but he doesn't get the wasting side of it too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you throw that wasting right. side of like your Steve Arnold's team. He's like, put your hands up. I'm done. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've done what I could done. I've, you know, I've ridden the Cox plates. I've ridden the Melbourne Cups. And I've ridden overseas. He's ridden Hong Kong or whatever. And he's like, I don't need I'm a piece of myself. A you know piece. what I mean? I think that's a great way to end it. And I want to get you back on there and elaborate on where you are now yeah. moving forward in your career. That's another podcast in itself because yeah. everybody knows, mate, you're killing it up north. So keep doing it. Keep working hard. I just, just to give people a little bit of an insight, I think you went on a run there. You had like 30 rides in your bank. What was it 22 winners mm. or 25? It was insane in a two-week period. I can't mm. remember. And that was just through pure hard work. Mm. So, mate, congratulations. Like I said, massive fanboy. I love having you. I love celebrating your wins. I love, I get on the back of them with you. I'm riding them. Yeah. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> Mate, if I could have been a jockey. You, know, I one of the, you always meet people in your life. And I've met like, especially football players. Football players always say, I always say, Oh, you've got the best job in the world, mate. Like everyone loves you. Everyone knows who you are. And you ain't, he goes, don't worry, mate. You've got the best job. I want to become a jockey. I wish I could have yeah. become a jockey. There's so many people out there like that. I think it's because you get that love with nature as well. Yeah. And you're in love with, look, horses. horses. I love animals. Yeah. And like, I just, I just, you've got to be an animal lover to do it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Maybe I'll start training. I don't know. There you go. I think you've let <laughs> you run a bit late. <laughs> See us in uh, 60, 70 years. And, yeah. yeah, I'll be banging me first winner. You've you just got to live your life through Sonny, mate. Start him yeah, early. yeah. Well, that's why I named him. I say it every time on the podcast. <laughs> I named him Sonny. If he's not a professional surfer, I don't know what he's going to do with his life, man. So push my dreams onto him. Yeah, so, exactly. Mate, we go. Thanks heaps, mate. I'll see right. you soon. Give us a like, share, subscribe, everybody. Get your family and friends involved. Any Given Chance podcast. Woo! Wow, that was the Any Given Chance podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you want to see some more action, head over to our socials and give us a like, share, and subscribe. We're on YouTube at the Any Given Chance podcast and on Instagram and TikTok at Any Given Chance. And if you can hit share and subscribe, much appreciated as we grow. Plus, we're always looking for new guests. So if you know someone in the midst of it battling a good little bit of adversity or someone who's been successful, message us direct. We always check out inbox. And of course, if you want to check out old episodes, repurposed ones, you can jump over to our website, which is anygivenchancepodcast.org. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm your host, 3AM365, Matty Menion. No days off, no excuses, and I can't wait to catch you on the next one.